Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This podcast is sponsored by nonprofit Professional Performance 360 magazine. Hi, this is Paul Lemberg, and I want to welcome you to Orchestrating Success with Hugh Ballou. This podcast is all about ways to redefine leadership as a pathway to increasing your business or nonprofit income. Now, here's Hugh with today's session. Greetings to this this version of orchestrating success. My guest today is longtime friend and a very capable individual, Brandon Allen. And Brandon lives in Salt Lake City. He's worked with very high level thought leaders who have been mutual friends. And Brandon, I guess we met eight to 10 years ago, and we really haven't spoken for a few years. So I'm really glad to be reconnected. And I'm going to throw it to you for you to tell um, people a little bit about you. What, why are you doing this current business? And what brought you to want to do this? Yeah, absolutely. So thanks for having me, Hugh. It's always great to talk. So really, I mean, when I think about the genesis of my career, I spent a decade in the corporate world. I was the COO of an Inc. 500 company. And after working with a large company, but also smaller companies, I got a real big insight into what does it take for a small business to scale and really get to the next level? How do they get out of their own way so they can really grow and, and get to that next level. And so I started a consulting company at the worst time you could start a consulting company in 2008. And so right in the midst of financial crisis, I decide that's the time I'm going to start a business. But since then, um, I've worked with hundreds of small business owners, thought leaders, uh, brick and mortar businesses, helping them get to the next level, grow, feel more confident in what they're doing, have more freedom in their lives. I do some federal government work and consulting. Uh, I've done it in Utah and New Mexico for the federal government. I still do a lot of corporate training and, and government training. People ask me what I do. I say I'm a coach, speaker, and a strategist, but ultimately I am a person of deep curiosity. I love to connect people with people and people with ideas, and I'm always curious about the world around me, and I use that curiosity to help other people get more curious about what they're doing as well. Wow. 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 Now, um, since you and I last talked, um, you launched this business. Uh, We've talked incrementally, but not about your business. And the title that I see is New Work Revolution. Talk about that. What what does that mean? And why did you choose that title? Yeah, the, the idea behind New Work Revolution is about humanizing work putting the human element into work. And we can talk about systems. We can talk about processes. We can talk about ideal customer. We can talk about all these different strategies and plans on paper. All those things are meaningful. All those things matter. But if we get the human piece wrong, 
none of it works, right? There's an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. New Work Revolution is about breaking the bonds that really tie people down. So there's two facets to this. Number one, I've been an employee who's worked with a less than desirable boss. There's nothing worse than working for someone that a piece of you dies inside every time you interact with them or see them. And everyone who's ever been an employee knows what I'm talking about, and that's tough. But on the flip side, there's a lot of business owners. I mean, I literally had, just as an example, a business owner who wanted to shut their business down because they couldn't wrap their hands around the people management part of their business. And through our work together, they realized that, look, a lot of what was getting in their way was their own thought processes, their own limiting beliefs about team management. And when they did it right, they experienced great growth, tremendous enjoyment within the business. And so I want to teach leaders how to be the best boss that they can that still creates accountability, that connects with team members and really builds strong cultures within their business so that when people work for an organization, they enjoy what they do. We spend 40 hours a week plus at work. In fact, the majority of our waking time is at work. We might as well enjoy the work that we do as well as the people that we work with. That is what New Work Revolution is about. How do we start a revolution to work differently, work better, lead better, and really connect better as a group? Enjoy your time at work. What a novel concept. It's crazy. So crazy. The, the problem with common sense is it's not very common. Yes, that's, that is true. That is true. <laughs> so, Brandon, what, um, I, I've interviewed a whole lot of leaders on this show, and yep. uh, people have a different nuance, and I learn from everybody, and I get inspired with from everybody and I get, I, I learn things from people that have a very different approach than I do. Um, I don't know that yours and mine are any different, but we are uh, unique individuals. Um, let's back up this word leadership. I find in my whole podcast is about leadership. I choose not to use that word because I feel like people don't understand that word. Yeah. And, and do you find that to be true? Absolutely. I, I think, look, we use these words with no intention behind what we're saying. Well, say more. That's good. So one of the things that I do for myself personally and for leaders that I work with is I define what does this mean to you? Um, and here's the thing with leadership, Hugh. Uh, I use the example of college football as an example. Nick Saban is the head football coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Look, by all accounts, Nick Saban is not a pleasant individual to play for, but he gets results. On the flip side, Dabble Swinney from Clemson, right? He's a player's coach, a guy that you'll see dancing in the locker room, having fun, a complete opposite in a lot of ways of what Nick Saban is. They win the national championship last year over Nick Saban's team. Now, my point in saying that is not because one style is better than another. There are many different ways to lead. There are many different paths to leadership you've got to define what that looks like for you. So I have a leadership philosophy that I created for myself that helps me define how do I want to lead? What does being a leader look like to me? And how do I communicate that in a meaningful way to people that I do lead? 
so that they understand where I'm coming from and how I want to impact their lives for the best. Wow, that's pretty profound. Defining your philosophy, and do you model leadership for people you work with? Do I model it for them or from them? Do they learn by what you do or what you say? Both. Um, the problem is, is what I say needs to be congruent with what I do. <laughs> and so, and here's, here's why I say this, right? So when I was, when I was a very first a leader, when I was 25 years, 25 years old, I thought I knew everything about leadership. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to be the CEO of this company within five years. What I realized is uh, there was uh, the great business philosopher, Mike Tyson said that everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. That's what happened to me when I got my first leadership assignment. I had a plan, I got punched in the face, and I realized through that experience that I didn't know nearly as much about leading people that I thought I did. So I transcended my own failure into success, but how I did it was got educated and trained on what, where are my blind spots, what am I doing wrong? But before I change those blind spots, I needed to set context with my team about what I'm doing. Because if, if I create a listening, right, Hugh, if you're my employee and we work together and I start to create a listening about you that, you know what, Hugh's just a no good, rotten piece of junk. I can't work with him. He's just impossible. Everything that you do starts to be seen through that lens. So you could be out there feeding homeless people, right? And I could look at you and say, see, I told you he's no good. He's not working. He's out there doing, you know, God knows what with this and that. And, you know, now I've taken something that's pure that you're doing and I've ruined it through my own faulty filters. So I had to go to my team and humble myself and say, guys, I've recognized that I am not an effective leader in these areas. These are things that I'm going to change. I want you to hold me accountable to making that change. And I want you to recognize why I'm doing it so that you don't misrepresent or misinterpret what I'm trying to do as something uh, that is not for you when in fact it is something that's for you. So I think it's important to use our words to paint the picture, but then to go out and execute those words ruthlessly because as a leader, my only currency is my credibility. If I'm a credible leader, I have a lot of currency with people, but if I'm not a credible leader, uh, it's really hard for me to move people when they're not gonna, when they don't believe in what I have to say. You said an awful lot in that. We're, we will transcribe this and it'll be on the podcast on, on iTunes and Stitcher. But that, that was a whole lot of really good stuff, Brandon. And I, um, I'm trying to track the questions that that prompted. Um, so the, the transparency piece. Early in my podcast series, somewhere in the teens, I interviewed a group of really profound leaders. One was Cal Turner, who went to his leadership team at Dollar General. And he said to his, dollar, his, his team, I got this job because my dad founded the company. Um, okay. I have the vision to take this public. You've got the skills. I don't. You know, I got the job because of my genes, not because of my skill. You got the skill. Because he was transparent, um, they stepped up. And they said, oh, yeah. yeah. And so Cal said to me, Hugh, leadership is about defining your gaps and finding um, good people to fill it. There was another part, which I, uh, he's a very faithful uh, Methodist in his office. There's the statues of the Wesleyans. 
the two Wesley brothers that founded the Methodist Church. But he said in there, his dialogue said, yes, I am the boss, which spelled backwards is double S-O-B. And, <laughs> and he said, worse yet, I'm the son of the boss. Now, um, there's a whole dynamic with families in leadership, but the dynamic you hit on was people think that identifying those gaps is a weakness in leadership. You just position it as an essential strength of leadership. Am I, did I hear you right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'll, I'll add to that. So here's the thing about our flaws. Everyone else knows we have them, right? It's hard to read the label when you're inside the bottle, but everyone can read the label except for you. And we all have blind spots as leaders that we don't know, that we're weak at, that other people can see. What my team wants to know is, am I aware of my own imperfections? Because I... Not ignoring your flaws or ignoring, you know, you know, he talked about ignoring your sins, ignoring your flaws is like getting in a pool and then thinking you didn't get wet. And you're walking around and you're dripping water everywhere. And the whole time you're no one can see my flaws. That's our, our flaws, right? Our flaws are the water that's dripping off of us ever really follow me, they will follow me more and they'll be open to recognizing their own flaws when I'm more transparent about what I have to learn and where I have to grow. Because think about, think about how ridiculous of a philosophy this is for leaders who say, don't show weakness. But then what they want their team to do is show weakness and, and, and invite them for training development, where do they need to grow? But if I don't, if I sit there and pretend like I've got it all put together, all I'm doing is inviting everyone on my team to do the same. And if everyone's got it put together, we're screwed. Absolutely. And you, you might be interested in going back and listening to that, that podcast, but he said, he said exactly the same thing as he pretended to know they're going to say, I'm going to show him, I'm going to get him. And, and it's, it's disingenuous. It's not authentic. And which, which you've just portrayed is being open and transparent. Brene Brown talks about vulnerability. Yeah. And, and what I learned from the great teacher of conductors, James Jordan, who's written books on lots of topics of conducting, his, his musician soul said, in order to make really good music, the conductor needs to be vulnerable on the podium. Mm. And then, then we can invite good music making. And that's, that's probably the same principle that we have in, in corporate leadership. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you said a whole lot of really profound things there. I think part of it is, is that we've been taught leadership a certain way and it doesn't work. It doesn't mm -hmm. work now if it ever worked, but we have to be the boss. We have to have the, all the answers. We have to be in control of everything. Yep. When really, if we're able to clearly paint the vision and empower other people, which is what you just talked about and say, here's my piece of it. I'm really good at this. I, I position, and Cal taught me this, um, skills and gaps rather than strengths and weaknesses. Because I think we all don't do some things better. It doesn't mean I'm weak there. So I like to say my skills are here. 
my gaps are here and that's where I find really good people and yeah. elevate them to a higher, higher level of functioning. I like that. Um, and I, you know, I learned a little bit from everybody. I'm learning stuff from you today. That's, that's, you know, it's great. I think if somebody that I'm interviewing says, no, I got that leadership down stuff down. I can't help them. Number one, number two, they're dangerous. Yep. And number three is uh, mine's like a parachute. If it ain't open, it ain't going to work for this. Yeah. And so what is the biggest challenge you see? Uh, let's talk about the business sector because it's a little different in the nonprofit or church sector, but in the business sector, is it different with mid cap companies or bigger companies and entrepreneurs? What's, you know, what's the challenge? Is it the same or is it different for leaders in different size businesses? Man, I, I think for leaders in smaller organizations, the challenge they have is time and resources. They know they need to train. They know they need to have intentional processes. They know they need those things, but they don't always have the resources or they're not concentrating on putting those resources towards those areas. And so you have a lot of people who work in the organization who aren't qualified or trained or anything else. And you've got you know, let's take someone who's a, uh, a dentist. You know, you have a dental office, you got people who are in there, and then pretty soon someone rises to the level of office manager. And the reason why they're the office manager is because they've proven themselves to be capable, responsible, and effective in their role before that. Now we put them in a leadership uh, responsibility, but what got them here won't get them to the next level. They need a whole different set of skills and a lot of business owners are ill-prepared to train and develop a leader underneath them because they don't know what that looks like for themselves. In a larger organization, you see a little bit more of that. They start to invest in training, and they start to get people support at certain levels. But there's still a gap there of a lack of investment in people and really growth across the board. This is, this is happening in larger companies as much as it is. Uh, in smaller companies, when I do corporate training and consulting uh, in a corporation, there's a lot of the same frustrations and pain points that exist in a smaller organization. It just, uh, it looks a little bit different. Is that sort of like the Peter principle? People get um, promoted to their level of ineffectiveness? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a different skill set as you go up the ladder. However, if you go up the ladder, then you know what, what, what's below that in the, and how the organization works. Yeah. Where I see a deficit in corporate America is where somebody comes in as a horizontal position into what they call management. It's really leadership. Yeah. But with a Harvard MBA, they come in at, at a, a leadership level and they have no clue what goes on below them. Absolutely. Well, I mean, think about this. One of my favorite leadership books is a book called derailed uh, by, I think it's Tim Irwin. And it's five classic examples of disastrous leadership. In fact, one of them ran for president uh, here recently. Carly Fiorina was featured in this book, right? That's the kind of book you want to be featured in. Uh, but they talked about Bob Nardelli. Bob Nardelli was the CEO of Home Depot. He took over for Arthur Blank, came in at a CEO level, did not understand what made Home Depot successful. They had a very family environment. It was very down home. And what he did were things like this. He built an elevator that went straight from a private parking garage right to his office. Um, created all these standardized processes and systems that were very cold, very antiseptic, 
because, you know, he wanted to be command and control as the CEO. And assignment, not because he's not a smart guy, not because he's not capable, but because he, he didn't understand the culture that he was coming into and how it operated. And so he tried to completely change the culture and the culture won. The, the culture won out and, and he lost and he was fired and it was a, it was a colossal failure. That's a huge story. I'm getting a little break up and I don't know if it's my side or your side. I'm going to change routers. So just, we're going to pause a minute and I can edit this out later. Okay. okay. Can you hear me? Yeah. All right. I want to make sure we get, we get all the words. So the story you just told of Home Depot yeah. is they hired somebody without regard to the culture and they were not right. a fit for the culture. You know, that's, that's, to me, that's one of the biggest deficits in hiring. And, and when I, I work with companies on hiring, there, there's competency, of course, and there's role and responsibility. Yeah. But that third component is the culture fit. And yeah. what you just said is huge. Um, it made me think of good leadership, Southwest Airlines. Uh, they, they say they're in the hospitality business, even though they right. run an airline, and they hire for attitude. So they yeah. hire for the culture. I'm sure yeah. they hire pilots just for attitude, but they do. That's probably a right. factor because everybody you talk to in the organization or you experience understands that paradigm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's so important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so so um, give me a story, of, for instance, of the impact that you've had with a client. You don't have to use names or initials or locations unless you want to but um what kind of um result have you seen i always like the the consultant that says i'm a turnaround specialist i turn companies around i went into a company that was angry and depressed and when i left i turned them around they were depressed and angry <laughs> I haven't told that in a long time. I, I've been known for telling the same jokes over and over, but that that one, um, I, I, I uh, there are people like that though. So, sure. um, and I know you, and I know you have uh, valuable work. And I want to. You, you told me I could ask you anything. So unless you would rather not, is there an example of here's where they were? Here's the you brandonized them. You you went in and helped them gain the, the confidence and the skills and the systems to, to elevate to that, whatever they wanted to do. I prefer to say, go to the top, then the next level, you can do it sequentially, but give yep. us a, a case study. What, what impact have you seen with your work with, with a company? I mean, one of my favorite examples, I'll give you one of my favorite examples, uh, a dental client that I worked with in the Midwest. He got on the phone with me and this was the first call. He said, Brandon, I hate dentistry. I hate my partner. I hate my team. Can you help me? And I said, okay, let's take a step back here. What is it about these things that you don't like? We identified some core things. Number one, uh, he said he was dissatisfied with his partnership. My next question for this person is, what conversations or communications have you had with this person about this issue up to this point? It got really quiet on the phone because he said, you know what? I don't know if I've ever talked to him about this. Mm. 
And I'm like, okay, there's step one. Step two, what kind of a culture do you want? What does the organization look like? What would the ideal organization for you look like that you really felt like really celebrated the best of what you do, how you do it, served your patients at a high level? What does that look like? No idea. How do we decide who's a good fit for your organization and who isn't? Doesn't know. We started working on those aspects. How do we communicate and connect? And here's the funny thing about the partner. Totally interested in doing everything that he wanted him to do. He was just waiting for someone to ask him and talk to him about it. That was the easy fix. The culture, we identified it. We put it together. We identified that there were probably two to three team members that were not a cultural fit. And through starting to communicate about what kind of culture we wanted, those people self-selected themselves out of the organization. We brought in new people. Now we've got a team fine-tuned and humming along. Their growth and everything through this process, we didn't come up with any fancy marketing strategies. We didn't, we didn't introduce some strategy that no one knows about that's a secret. We were more intentional about our communication, the culture that we wanted in identifying where we want to take things. And through that process, they grew, I think it was like 30% in that year, loved his team, loved his partnership, loved his business. It was a, you know, a huge success through that. And it starts with, as you said, I change leaders so that they can change cultures in their organization. If we change the leadership, we can change a lot of things about uh, the culture and what shows up around that. But it starts at the top. When I was failing as a leader, my boss asked me one time, he said, Brandon, why are you guys doing so poorly? And I looked at him and I did the most leadership thing that I could do. And I said, well, my team sucks. <laughs> if I just had better players, I would win. And he did a very leadership thing. He said, well, we're probably not going to fire your entire team. What else can we do? And that's where I thought about what are the skills that I'm missing? What is the feedback that I need? I went to one of my team members and I sat down with them. They'd been with the company longer than I'd been alive. And I said, hey, I want some candid feedback. What am I doing wrong? They said, do you really want to know? And I immediately regretted asking as soon as they said that. Do you really want to know? <laughs> but I thought, well, you know what? I'm committed now. Get it out. And they said, we don't like you. Whoa. Really hard to hear. As I went home and thought about that, I waited till I got to the car before I started crying, mind you. As I went home and thought about that, I thought about what about that feedback is true? How could that be true for me? Because I can take that feedback and I can say, well, you're just a bitter old lady. Or I could look at it and say, hey, what about that is really true? And what is it about what I do and how I lead that needs to change? I started investing in my own leadership journey and development in a way that I hadn't before. Stopped assuming that I knew every darn thing about leadership um, as a young person. And through that transformation process, all I changed was myself. We went from being a mediocre office to one of the top rated offices in my area. And then I was offered a bigger office as a result of that. And that I didn't change anything else, but how I showed up in the, in, the office and the interaction. So that's what I did for the dental client that I just told you about. I did that for myself and that kind of a process works.
And you know what? You and I resonate on a lot of stuff. Um, my, my whole perspective is the orchestra or the choir is a reflection of a leader. What they see is what you get. Yeah. And we want to blame them for, for poor performance when they're trying to follow us. And yeah. the, the old saying is if the orchestra respects the conductor, they play as the conductor intends. If they don't respect the conductor, they play exactly as they direct. And we're flawed as individuals. That's a very interesting story because we don't change other people. We change ourselves and, and people change as a reflection of that. And that was Absolutely. exactly what you said. What, did I hear it right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And leaders want to change everybody else. And what you did was change yourself. Boy, that was, that was, that was a tough feedback. We don't like you. It was, it was devastating. It was oh. devastating to hear it. But I was at such a low point because here's the thing. I just got married. I moved my wife to a city neither of us had ever lived. And I thought, I'm going to get fired, and my wife's going to find out what a loser I am. I'm going to be stuck in this city that I've never even lived at before that I really wasn't even sure I wanted to live. And I'm like, what do I even do? First time I get a leadership assignment, I run it right into the ground and blow it up. I mean, it was tough. But that was the exact feedback that I needed to hear. And I had to subordinate my ego so that I could internalize that and say, you know what? How do we change this? How do I go from impact, you know, it, it basically killing people's morale to really inspiring them and empowering them. And that started that journey. That's why you're doing what you're doing. Cause you, you know, some people yeah. would call those failures. I call them learning opportunities. Well, hope, you know, you hope they are if we have the right mentality about it. It's right. If, if we have an open mind to it, yes. yeah, this is good. Uh, Brandon, this is good stuff. It reminds me of the guy that goes to uh, one of his colleagues and, and and says, what do you think? He says, you're ugly. He says, whoa, I need a second opinion. He says, okay, you're stupid too. <laughs> Good thing you didn't ask for a second opinion. <laughs> I know. I, look, I had to just stop there. I was like, oh, my God, that's enough. I've heard enough. <laughs> like, we're good. That, um, that's pretty profound that you were able to um, take that input and turn it around. And I'll bet when you went back and showed up differently, that person became part of your fan club, part of your support system in a profound way because they felt heard. She said that when I left, she would retire. That's how we ended it. That person who said they hated me said, when you leave, I'm retiring. I don't want to work for another boss. And you you took lemons and made lemonade out of it because you saw that as an opportunity to to move past that barrier. Um, wow, wow! I know you had a lot of smarts, Brandon, but you're you're giving me a lot of good stuff today. Um, well, let me let me tell you this though. I don't know that all of that transformation came from a good place. Always, I was very committed to achievement and looking my best, and so any feedback was information that I could take to perform at elite level. And I placed a lot of value on performing at a, an elite level. And it didn't always come from a healthy or a good place. That's why I did it. So I'd love to tell you that, you know, I just really had this great heart that really wanted to do the right thing. But I mean, really, when it came down to it, it was really for my own selfish reasons, which I had to tackle that later in my career. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Well, that's real good transparency and, and self-awareness. Do you find that um, leaders struggle? You talked about the blind spots. One of your colleagues there in Salt Lake, I was speaking after him one day, and he was out in the crowd, and he said, how many people know your blind spots? And there were about three or four hands that go up, went up, and he said, no, you don't. They're called blind spots. <laughs> that was Brett. Um, yeah. <laughs> and um, 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 I thought that was brilliant. But people are totally unaware of some of those things and unaware that they're not aware. And so what challenges do we have for lack of self-awareness with leaders? Is that something that you have dialogue on with people? Absolutely. I mean, look, you've got all sorts of people that get into a, where they shut themselves off for self-awareness. Number one, you've got the high achiever that gets their ego too wrapped up in their results. I used to be this kind of a person. Uh, I'm still this kind of a person at some level. It's, it's, this is an ongoing work, right? But because of that, we shut ourselves off to the blinds, the things around us, and we get so focused on winning, and we think because we're winning that we're, we're doing everything the right way or that we don't have anything to learn. Who's going to teach me something? Look how great I'm doing, right? You've got that achiever. Then you've got the person on the other end of the spectrum that's really beat down who then adopts a fixed mindset that says, look, I don't want to look bad. I only play in my lane. I only try things that I know I'm already good at. I play it safe. I play not to lose. I don't play to win. But because I have such a scarcity mentality, you know, I'm just going to do kind of the bare minimum here. I don't want to stick my neck out because I, you know, I don't want to see what's out there. That person is also shut off to growth and development, but for completely different reasons. And it's about identifying how do we get into that spot of, of recognizing, hey, there's always opportunities to learn. What's the next lesson for me? How do I tap into that self-awareness for myself? How do I pull outside information to help me uncover blind spots? Because that's going to come from someone else recognizing that. Or maybe we have an epiphany uh, where we have a failure that just maybe enlightens us to our blind spots. But that is, uh, you know, that's such a, a big part, I think, of really winning the inner game of leadership by understanding that self-awareness piece. It is huge. It is huge. And I don't guess I can work with anybody that's not willing to talk about that and willing yeah. to open up that dialogue and, and say, okay, I, I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. And I find that the better they are, the more they want to learn. Yeah. And they don't, uh, the, the, it's like when Jim Rohn used to do speeches, he said, you know, the people driving expensive cars are right here on the front row. The people driving the Chevrolets and the beat-up cars are in the back row. Well, they're not here. But the people that are high performers want to be better. They're on the front yeah. row. Right. Yeah. He was a profound influencer. So um, so the um, what, what, are the, what are the reasons people give you for not wanting to grow their skill set? I mean, they, you, you work with people and say, I want this type of result. I want this to be better. And like you, you didn't know where you had gaps. What are, what are, are, there's, to me, there's reasons and there's excuses. Yeah. So what are some of the common fallacies people have about leadership and therefore their own lack of ability to grow? What are some of the, the lies we tell ourselves or some of the fallacies yeah. that, that we have? Do you know, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It makes perfect sense. So number one, I didn't learn this in school or... Number two, 
I'm not predisposed to be this type of a person. So therefore I can't be a leader. I need someone else to do it for me. Uh, number three, uh, you know, I'm just someone who likes to put my head down and work and I just expect other people to do that around me. So I don't need to build these skills or this leadership. Number four, I don't have time. Number five, I can't afford it. Um, I mean, there's just tons of reasons and excuses that people give for why they don't learn more about leadership, invest in their leadership. Um, or, you know, one of my favorites, uh, I can't invest in those people because if I do, what if they quit? Then I've just wasted all this time and effort in investing in them and then they leave. And I always remind them of a, it was a meme that I saw between a CEO and a CFO and the CEO says, Hey, um, you know, we need to invest more into our people. And the CFO says, well, what if we invest more and they leave? And the CEO says, what if we don't and they stay? Right. And, and so that is, you know, it's getting leaders out of that, that mentality of, look, if I invest in these people, then, then they'll leave. Right. It's, it's kind of like, it's almost like an abusive relationship, right? I don't want this person to know that they can do better. So I'm going to make sure that I manage their expectations of themselves to let them know that no one's going to love you like I love you. You'll never be good enough for someone else. You're only good for what we do and what I provide for you. It's, it's a weird type of thing that leaders sometimes do to keep people from uh, branching out and, and, and breaking free of, of the organization to do other things. It's very bizarre. Wow. Wow, that's bordering on dysfunctional, isn't it? It is. But leaders do this all the time. Wow. That's, that's pretty amazing. Um, so, Brandon, tell us your, your website um, is, is your, your company name. And I'm, I'm fumbling here because I couldn't find the button. It's uh, networkrevolution.com. Is it, is it a revolution? New work revolution, because we're starting a revolution oh, for sorry. great leadership in organizations. So uh, I, my intention is uh, to continue a revolution of powerful, great leadership in any organization that we touch. And you have four daughters. Man, yeah. You are a proud father. I've seen pictures of you on uh, social media with your daughters, and you're, you appear to be a loving father. Um, and, and I try. Oh, yeah. Well, um, and then your podcast is on iTunes, uh, yep. New, New Work Revolution, same name. Yep. Okay. I, I, I think I would, I certainly want people to find you. What do they find when they go to um, newworkrevolution.com? What do they find there? New Work Revolution, uh, a couple things that you'll notice. Number one, there's an assessment that you can take out if you are a leader and you want to go through an assessment and see how you're doing. I have people go through an assessment, which gets them access to, I know some people don't like this, they don't do it, but we, we do a call around that. We talk about the assessment, it's a free call, uh, just to really assess where someone's at, how they're doing, and so we take them through that process. Um, there's an events tab, you can check out what events we have coming up. We do uh, very intimate workshops here in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, around different areas of leadership. So we're doing CEO business habits uh, in November. And so, you know, you'll find just information about what we do, how we do it, that kind of stuff. Well, I would encourage people to go and I'll put the link in the notes for the podcast as well. 
And um, are there some, uh, before we're coming up to the final part of this interview, is there a topic I haven't uh, asked you about that you want to um, introduce here and say something about? I mean, look, I think we covered some really great things as it pertains to leaders and just, uh, you know, what great leadership looks like, self-awareness, um, you know, those kinds of things. So, I mean, I really feel like we covered uh, a lot of the good things that uh, I think is pertinent to great leadership. It is. And, and you had extremely good, um, good answers to my questions, which were not the hardest ones I could think of, but they were the hardest ones I could think of today. Um, so I'd, I'd like you to p uh, ponder on a closing thought, uh, tip or recommendation for people. I'm going to do a sponsor announcement here. Um, we have people that we recommend that we use and their sponsors for the uh, orchestrating success and the nonprofit exchange podcast, both of them. And the sponsor today is word sprint word sprint prints our leadership magazine and Brandon doesn't know it, but he's going to be in the magazine soon. Uh, nonprofit performance is printed by WordSprint, who's a mailing house. And the way I stay in touch with my tribe is with mail mail. It cuts through the clutter of all the, the electronic stuff. When people have something in their hand, followed up by an email a day later, says, look at this. I have this ongoing engagement with my clients, with my donors and the charity. I have this top of mind uh, marketing where I'm constantly providing a value and it's high value that they put on their decks. Wordsprint.com, you can go there and get what Brandon just described, a free uh, assessment of how do you stay in touch with your tribe. Communication is about relationship, and they're the best they are. I use them, and I highly recommend them. Wordsprint, like fast, wordsprint.com. So, Brandon, back around to... Um, Leadership is fundamentally based on relationship. I said communication was, I think money, people don't, don't engage us and pass money unless they, they know the value they're getting. And we've, we've created that trusted relationship. And so I want to throw that in the arena, if you want to comment, and then after you comment, what's a parting thought you'd like to leave with people? So give me, give me your question around trust again, just to make sure well, I understood it's, it's Leadership is fundamentally around a relationship Yeah. in my world. You know, people yes. like the conductor, if they respect you, they're going to do what you, so you know, respond to that. And then what's a closing thought you'd like to leave with people? Well, look, I mean, I think the people element is, is so huge. If we have good people in our world to really help us and support us, we've got a lot of great powerful things and i think about times where i've struggled where i've needed help and uh systems and processes didn't jump in and and provide the support i was looking for it was people who did that and if you want to scale a business if you want to grow an organization the best way you can do that is to have great smart capable people that you invest in uh that will help you further that and so to piggyback off that, you asked for a final thought. Uh, my favorite leadership quote is by Lao Tzu, who's credited with writing the Tao Te Ching. He said, a leader is best when people barely know he exists. When his work is done, his aim fulfilled, they will say we did it ourselves. We can't get there without intention, without a philosophy on how we want to lead, on communicating, subordinating our ego, 
and then stepping back and letting smart, capable people do the work that we hired them to do and that we know they're capable of doing. Awesome. I look really good, Brendan, because I hang around smart people like you. Uh, so you're, you're a real gift you. friend, you're a gift to, I'm sure, your clients and a lot of people I've seen you interact with and your, your reputation with people I know is certainly very high. Thank you for sharing the wisdom on this podcast today. Thank you for having me, Hugh. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening today to the Orchestrating Success Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes to stay focused on ways to redefine leadership and increase your profit. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.